he running, Dad? Because we have to chase him. Why? Because he can take it. Because he's not a hero. He's a silent guardian. A watchful protector. The Dark Knight. I don't get it. Neither do I, son. But it sounds cool. As I ride on my bike at the end of Dark Knight, there's a few plot points that just don't feel right. Like why the hell did I agree to take the rap? Harvey Dent killed those people. Who gives a crap? And the Joker pulls crimes in such an orderly manner. He must write it down in an evil day planner. His henchmen are psycho and expendable, yet somehow completely dependable. And why is Morgan Freeman all pissed at me? He seemed to resign kind of randomly. It's okay to build me an armor tank car, but oh, tapping phones, that's going too far. This movie of my life just doesn't don't understand. You can't kill a symbol, but you can kill a man. If I want to quit, well then that's my choice. We're all alone. You don't have to use that voice. And what about Miss Dawes? It's like you forgot her. In Batman Begins, she was so much hotter. Joker, are you busy? Let's call a truce. I need you to help explain the plot to Batman. Call me insane, but I consider us friends. I brought the DVD so we can watch it again. I'll make the popcorn and pour the sherry. Oh, maybe we can watch it with the commentary. How does Harvey Dent do a total 180? Well, they barbecued his face and he lost his lady. When did you have time to rig up both of those boats? Does talking that way ever damage your throat? Well, at least they got rid of Joel Schumacher. You know what movie's really good? The Hurt Locker. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to see that. I've never heard of that. Who's in it? Anthony Mackie? I don't know who that is. He was an eight mile. Oh, he was the guy who hosted the rap battles. No, that was Mackay Pfeiffer. Oh, Joker, you're getting white makeup all over the popcorn. Sorry. Hey, did I ever tell you how I got these scars? Yes, several versions. Well, maybe other people here would like to hear the story? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Garner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hey everybody, it's time for Back to the Bins to return, because I'm sick of saying welcome back to Back to the Bins, because it sounds really bad. <laughs> my my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Scott Gardner. And this time we have another one of our special episodes. Usually the format is pretty simple. Scott and I choose a random back issue, bring it to the table. I don't know what he's read, he doesn't know what I've read. But like we did when we did Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man... Uh, we chose a three-issue miniseries to talk about because we both happen to really, really like it. To kind of introduce the series, I, I kind of want to talk about Batman, and I kind of want to talk about the music of Batman. I think, you know, Superman is pretty much defined 
by the Williams theme. You know, the, the Shirley Walker music is freaking brilliant. Don't get me wrong. And there are some other Superman themes that are really cool. But Batman seems to have a more varied theme history. There seem to be more themes that are associated with them. I mean, you have the, the 60s theme, uh, you know, that, that brought surf rock to comic book uh, superhero themes. And then you had the Elfman theme from 1989, which uh, I, I it happens to be my personal favorite. I absolutely love that theme, love that score. Uh, I like the score to Batman Returns a little bit more, because I think he put a little more into that one. And then there's the Elliot Goldenthal theme uh, from Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and I probably just butchered his name. But, but again, you know, not my favorite, but I really like, especially the score to Batman and Robin, which seems to be a little more... Uh, in a, a little more intense than the previous one, which is kind of funny because you know Batman and Robin was pretty much a remake of Batman Forever with different villains and a, and a new hero to introduce. And then there's the Hans Zimmer, you know, James Newton Howard, boom, 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 boom. I mean, it's the most boring theme ever. But I was sitting there thinking yep. the other day, Scott, what would it sound like if a shitty pop synth band from the 80s did a Batman theme and I think it would go something like this Please look out thugs beware killers watch out wrongdoers don't dare it's the deepest dark of night he waits for the danger Megan, stop! God, that is a... I heard that, and I literally I'll talk, laughing. I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll tell you anything! Just please, make it stop! <laughs> Wasn't that a piece of crap? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my... I'm serious, man, they, they could use that to torture prisoners at Guantanamo or something, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I bombed the towers, and, and, and I, uh, I did Pearl Harbor, too! You weren't even alive in 1940. <laughs> Just make it stop! Lindbergh, baby! I took him! <laughs> make it stop! No, but, but I found I sound that... like I work at the Dairy Queen rather than, <laughs> uh, than I'm a bomber, but whatever. But that, uh, in, in case you're not aware, folks, that is the opening music to the... M... What is it? MCI? What? EMI? Uh... Uh, <laughs> you got back, man. I don't. I don't know. Back in the late eighties, uh, there was this company that I guess tried to bring back the concept of like the the power records, where you would take a comic book story and you would uh, have like a full cast audio perform it. Right. And they did one for every issue of the Man of Steel. Which I own, I just haven't been able to put on a digital format yet. Do you have all six of those? Yes, I have all six oh, of those. Oh, okay, cool. 
I'd like to hear those sometime. I've got two of the issues, and I, off the top of my head, I'm not even sure which two they are. I know one of them is the Batman guest star issue. I don't remember what the other one is. I think it's the... the well, no, I don't know. I was going to say, I think it's the Magpie issue, but that's the same one as the Batman issue, so I don't know what the other one is that I've got, but I know I have two of them. It's a piece of crap. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Real big, huge piece of crap. Um. <laughs> they never get Batman's voice right. You know, no, at least no. not what I think he should sound like. I mean, this Untold Tales one was really, really bad, but so far, none of them has been as horrible as the Cake Taker, which was that Justice League of America record, which I don't even know what the hell year that thing came out, but it's absolutely, it used to crack us up as kids. Chris and I would listen to that record all the time, and they do the roll call, and they sing it, you know, it's all a song. You know, the roll call, or you know, call the roll, call the roll, call the roll. Of the Justice League of America. That's the one. (laughs) And they run down the list, and it's got like Superman here, Here. here, Wonder Woman here. And most of them sound pretty good. And then the very last one is Batman. And it's Batman here. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? You know, I mean, he sounds like he's 80 years old and from, you know, the Bronx or something. It's like, who? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. On paper, Batman, fear me, <laughs> swear to me, or whatever. <laughs> swear to me, swear to me. <laughs> Imagine uh, that movie with that. Vo- I'm gonna do that, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a fan <laughs> edit of of Dark Knight with that voice. Um, but they were they were called MPI audio editions. Ah, okay. Uh, and basically, you had like a little like a little mini reprint of the book and the tape, so you could follow along with it. And they did another one for the three-issue Untold ta- a Legend of... I keep wanting to call it like Untold Tales yeah, of Batman. <laughs> untold Tales of Batman. Yeah, I did that earlier today. Yeah, it's Untold Legend, legend of the Batman. Yeah, the, the Untold Legend of Batman, which was a three-issue uh, miniseries, cover date July to September 1980. And this was at a time... I, I, think, it, I think it's fair to say that DC has a tendency to be kind of behind the times on things, and when they finally catch up, they don't really do as good of a job as Marvel would do with it, mm-hmm. uh, with something. It's like, you know, they, you know, DC's about to unveil their digital comics, you know, six years after Marvel did. But DC pioneered the miniseries in comics with World of Krypton in 1979. And in very quick succession, they released a, a slew of miniseries that were all really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had World of Krypton, you had Untold Legend of Batman, you had Tales of the Green Lantern Corps, uh, which introduced Necron, I believe. I read that last year. I really liked it. And you had Krypton Chronicles and Superman the Secret Years. And Ooh, that one was horrible, dude. Part of it was horrible. I didn't like the, the, the guy that had the crush on Superboy throughout the entire thing. That was a little creepy. And, and, and of course, Phantom Zone. Yes. Which was freaking awesome. That came out about yes, one or two years after this. Probably, I think, the next year. Because that, wasn't that supposed to coincide with Superman 2? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was, it was made to be a tie-in. But the awesome thing about it was that, you know, other than the fact that it was Superman and, you know, Phantom Zone villains, it doesn't have a thing to do with the movie. It just, you know, just dumb luck happenstance kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, one of one of my absolute favorite 
comic book things ever was that that mini and uh eventually when we can round all the uh, usual suspects up again we're gonna fin- we actually recorded uh, i'll just let you peek behind the, cor- the curtain for a minute we actually recorded shows for issues one and two of the phantom zone and we had an all-star cast of of folks get together to do that and just through issues we were having with skype that night and things like that we were not able to do issues three and four and it, it that was months ago, literally months ago. And those ish, those two episodes have just been sitting, waiting to be edited and scored and all that stuff and put out. But I'm waiting until we can round everybody back up and finish the mini. And uh, we're having the most horrible time getting everybody back together. But eventually it will get finished and it will come along because, uh, yeah, love that. One of my favorite comic book things. And uh be listening for that because it will happen eventually. Well, I did not read this when it first came out. No, me neither. I, I was not reading. Actually, the first time I read it was in the summer of 1989. It was a uh, the Batman serial. That yeah. Was like King Vitamin and Captain Crunch had a kid, and it was just pretty freaking god awful. But uh, one of the giveaways that they had was you could send off for... uh, They were small reprints. They weren't, like, full comic book-sized. Yeah. It came in the mail, which, you know, at 13 is always exciting. I don't know why. Just, you know, you get It's exciting at 42. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I got a comic in the mail yesterday, and I was like, woohoo! I am. I'm like a special kid when I get comics in the (laughs) mail. Comics! (laughs) Freak out. But, um... I read it then, and I really, really liked it, even though it was very much set in the pre-crisis history of the character. Yeah, yeah. But um, but I think that's part of the charm, and that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to read this book or cover this book on this show is because, to me, this is the definitive Batman story. Right. Everything you need to know about the character, at least, and I'll add as a disclaimer for just in case people like write in and say how much things have changed since then. Up to like September 1980, this is everything you needed to know about the character, right? In a really solidly tight, well-told story package. I will argue that for the first two issues, my only problem with this is the third issue. I'm not going to reveal what my problem is, but I have okay. I have a problem with it. But yeah, uh, actually, I almost wish, in a, in a funny kind of way, that this was just a one-shot. That basically pad issue one out a little bit longer to include the origins of the, the couple more characters that we get next issue, and just make it basically, you know, Batman and, and his little family of characters reflecting for whatever reason you know just reflecting on how they all wound up together and what their origins are because that's that's what i love about this i like the origin aspect i I love how everything is recapped in a nice neat little package it's the it's the story that's overlaid on it that i find threadbare and it doesn't that part of it doesn't hold up but uh here here was me rereading the first issue of this oh my god i forgot about that Holy shit, I forgot about that. Yeah, so that, yeah, very much the Silver Age origins of, of Batman and his characters. But I loved it. You know, I, I really, really dig this. And uh, this was more my Batman as opposed to what he would eventually mutate into thanks to, uh, you know, I would say mostly thanks to, like, Frank Miller. 
Um, but we'll get to that after uh, you know, the synopses of the issues and all. But that you know, I have I have notes on all that. Let's get right into issue one, which has a beautiful cover. Who did? Do you see a signature on this cover? It's uh, Garcia Lopez. That's what I figured. I just didn't know for sure. But it's a, it's a really neat cover of the Joker, Penguin, and Riddler about to open up this giant book that has Batman's pictured on it that says The Untold Legend of the Batman. And Joker says, this book will tell us everything we need to know to defeat the Batman. And it even has a little ribbon bookmark in it with the <laughs> DC logo on it, which I thought was a, was a neat touch. But I like the candle with the Joker faces on it. That's cool, too. Oh, I never noticed the Joker faces before. That is awesome. <laughs> God, Garcia Lopez is a great artist. Yes, he is. Um, so we, I have to read this intro and I'll, and I'll try to do a good impersonation of the guy from that tape. Deep within the bowels of the city, a solitary dark clad figure sits nestled in the shadows of a vast sprawling cavern. Here, the most modern scientific equipment looms beside the most ancient tools of the murderer's art and the countless unique trophies stand in mute testimony to the ability of one man. It is a cavern filled to bursting with the stuff of legend. The Untold Legend of the Batman. And it says created by Bob Kane, but as I'll say, created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Oh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Sorry. He... Bill Finger was responsible for a lot of the awesome of Batman, and he never got his due when he was alive. So. Well, I don't want to divert us and tangent into a whole thing that we could devote an entire show to, but you know, you and I seldom disagree strongly about anything. That's one of the things that we strongly disagree about, but we'll we'll that, save we'll table that discussion yeah. for another time. Uh, Len Wein is the writer of this issue. John Byrne and Jim Aparo artists, and that was one of the reasons I was really excited when I was uh, thirteen and got this because it was John Byrne drawing Batman. I was like, "Ooh, Byrne!" The issue is titled "In the Beginning." Batman is getting to the last piece of his mail as Alfred brings him dinner. Both men are shocked to discover that the package contains the tattered remains of the bat costume Bruce's father wore years ago. That seems impossible, since the costume should be in the second bat cave. They investigate and find the costume missing, and a note taped from inside which reads, This is only the beginning, Batman. Before I'm done, I will destroy you. Alfred asks Batman if he is all right, as he has been pushing himself rather hard lately, what with the problems with Catwoman and the explosion. During the notes section, I'm going to ask if you know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, I have the same note, dude. That I'm assuming that that's part of the story created to kind of tie these three issues together so that it's not just, let's look back at our origin. But that's part of my problem with the, the overlaid story is that if they're referring to something that actually happened in an issue of Batman or Detective Comics, then I wish there was an editor's note. But I get the feeling that this was something created for this issue and it never pays off we're never treated to whatever the hell this trauma was that happened to him it's just mentioned several times but that's it we're we're not given any other explanation of that so i don't think it's something that happened in his own titles that is being you know uh expounded upon here i really don't but if i'm wrong i, I hope somebody writes in and clues us in on that because i'd love to know yeah me too 
But uh, Batman says he is fine, but complains of a slight headache. He then begins to remind Alfred why the costume is so important to him. Years ago, his father wore it to a costume party. While at the party, gangsters bust in and kidnap Thomas Wayne because they needed a doctor to treat their boss, Lou Moxon, who had been shot recently. Knowing that they will kill him after he treats Moxon, Thomas seizes on an opportunity to take out all of the gangsters. They are arrested by a Lieutenant James Gordon, and Moxon is convicted thanks to Wayne's testimony, but Moxon swears revenge. Years later, Moxon is freed from jail and reiterates his plan to get back at Wayne, but says he's too smart to do it himself. Several weeks later, Thomas and Martha Wayne are gunned down by Joe Chill. That night, Bruce was comforted by Leslie Tompkins, and after the funeral, he is taken in by his uncle Philip, but is mostly cared for by Philip's housekeeper, Mrs. Chilton. As Bruce describes her as almost a second mother to him, Alfred thinks to himself that Chilton was also the mother of Joe Chill. Back in the flashback, young Bruce swears to dedicate his life to bringing his parents' killer to justice and making war on all criminals. He trains his body and mind and even seeks out the help of Harry Harris, a renowned detective. After helping Harry out of a dangerous situation, a disguised Bruce, disguised as Robin, by the way, becomes the man's protege and learns much about being a detective and the finer points of boxing. His training continued after he and Harry parted ways, even studying criminology and psychology in college. During one of his law classes, Bruce realizes that he cannot work within the system to fulfill his vow, and after the timely arrival of a bat in his study, he is inspired to become the Batman. In the years that followed, he fought some of the worst criminals the world has ever known, but they never had the right face, the face of his killer. Years later, Batman and Robin stumble upon a fugitive smuggling operation. The owner of the trucking company is Joe Chill, and Batman immediately recognizes the man as the killer of his parents. Failing to nail Chill for his crimes, Batman finally confronts him and reveals that he was the son of the people that Chill had gunned down. Chill escapes and seeks sanctuary with his men, but after learning that Chill was, Chill was responsible for creating the Batman, they all gunned him down. Realizing that they should have, you know, gotten Chill to tell them who Batman was before <laughs> filling him with lead, they try to get the info before he, before he dies, but Batman busts in and slaps the hell out of all of them. For years, Bruce thought that was the end of, of the case, but after finding the Bat costume and home movies of the night uh, Wayne was kidnapped, Bruce realizes that Chill was just a hired gun. They track Moxon down and manage to arrest him, but Moxon claims that he never heard of any Thomas Wayne, and a lie detector test backs up his claims. Batman eventually learns that Moxon suffered a head injury in a car accident and had some memory loss because of those injuries. Betting it all, Bruce puts on his father's costume and confronts Moxon. Moxon remembers everything and runs out of the office in fear, only to be hit by a, looks like a truck or a bus. With that, the souls of Thomas and Martha Wayne can rest in peace. Batman learns little from the costume's remains and hops into the Batmobile to find out who was responsible. And that night, even though Bruce had never shed a tear over the death of his parents, 
that night Batman cries. Sorry, that was <laughs> a little overly dramatic way to end. No, this. not at all. I thought that that was ish. That was excellent, man. That was very, very good. Actually, that that will be my first uh, nitpick for this is okay. Batman. Um, now, I like the last panel of Batman mm-hmm. shedding the tear. However, I had a problem with the fact that it, it, there's a big deal made of it, and I'm not sure exactly what page it was on, mm-hmm. about the fact that Batman never cried again for his parents. It, he makes a big deal about that. and oh, I wish I could find what page that is. Oh, here it is. It's when he's actually at the funeral with his Uncle Philip. He says, at the funeral, I was all cried out, so I simply stood there and bid a silent farewell to the two people I love most in all the world. I have not shed a single tear in their memory since. And I just was like, why Why is that relevant? Why is that important? Plus, it's not really true because there was a great story, and I wish I could remember the name of it, where it was just like a, a day in the life of Batman type of story. And it was kind of rare for this era of Batman. It, it actually feels more like a, a, the kind of Batman story we would get today, where he's very angsty and dark and all that. But he, yeah. you know, it's a typical night in the life of Batman. He goes out and he beats the hell out of a bunch of criminals. And at the very end of the story, when he gets home, he stands in front of this giant portrait of Thomas and Martha Wayne, pulls back his, his cowl, and sobs. And that was the story. So... You know, is that not canon or something? You know, during this, it was definitely during this time. It was a pre-crisis story, so. Well, well, given, I mean, I know Batman's driven, and I know he is the Dark Knight detective and, and full of angst and stuff, but I'll choke up if I see a commercial with a, with a mother and son together. Right. Thinking about my own mother who passed away. So <laughs> I can't really buy into that. I'm sorry. As a kid... Before he became Batman, I know everyone makes a big deal today that Bruce Wayne died the night his parents died and the Batman was born. And then, you know, I used to really buy into that. But over the last couple of years, I'm like, you know what? That's kind of (laughs) stupid. I mean, it's dramatic. And I guess it works for the stories that the current writers want to tell. But since everybody, as we will say a thousand times during this episode, has been chasing Frank Miller. Yes. Since Dark Knight Returns in year one, you know, that's a good catch phrase, a good buzz phrase for people to say about Bruce Wayne and the night the Waynes died. I I, kind of like, well, one, I really like how uh, Len Wein ties everything together. Yes. Because all of these stories were not told in order. It was, uh, you know, the, the, the story where he finds Joe Chill. That happened in one issue of Batman or Detective. I forget which one. Number 40, it was Batman number 47. And then years later, they did you know, the Bat costume story and the Lou Moxon thing. Right. So Ween took all of those, took the various aspects of the stories of, of Mrs. Chilton and the Uncle Philip and Leslie Tompkins and just put it in this really convenient package drawn by John Byrne and Jim Aparo doesn't get much better than that. No. <laughs> but uh, I got to read the original versions of those stories a couple year, uh, about a year or two after this when I got a copy of the greatest Batman stories ever told because they're told one right after the other in that, in that reprint. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I loved it. I was just like really digging it. And I thought, wow, you know, for the time period, this is pretty deep. You know, for for when these stories were told, that was kind of epic. 
Because a lot of the Batman stories around that time were kind of silly, I hate to say. Says you. <laughs> I never really liked Bruce as the first Robin, though. I, I do like that, actually. And, okay. Uh, that was one of my notes, is that uh, I really like that Byrne remembered that and revisited that in... Um, I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one, but in Superman, Batman, Generation. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I really liked that. By the way, dude, we've totally got to cover oh, Superman, yes. Batman, Generations. At least the first one. I'd, I I well, thought the second one was eh. I, I think the first one is one of the greatest thing, you, one of the greatest comic should... projects in the last 20 years, and I mean that wholeheartedly. So I would really love no, to cover that. I agree with you, too, and this is how we should cover it. We should cover it, both of them. But we should cover it by year in chronological order. That's not a bad idea. Back and forth between them. Because I read it like that once, and it really opens the entire world up. That's and, not a bad and, idea at all. And it's just, uh, it's, I can't say good enough things about Batman, Superman Batman Generations. I loved the first series. I loved the second series. Third series kind of let me down, but... I have it, and I've never read it. I, I keep meaning to get to it, but... Uh, you at least got to get to the Jonah Hex issue. Yeah. Uh, because that was pretty epic. But uh, this is this is my next note. Love the art. Love. Yes. Art. <laughs> yes. Holy crap, it's awesome. I wish it was printed on better paper, but my God, this is awesome art. Yeah, I would like to see this get some sort of real snazzy reprint treatment, you know, with, mm-hmm. with you know, the, the high quality. Like a $20 hardcover or something. Yeah, something like really nice because it deserves it because I, I could be wrong. I'm really, really racking my, my knowledge of Burn and, and Apparel. I think this is their sole pairing, but I could be dead wrong about that. But mm-hmm. Man, do their styles complement each other very well. And what's nice is that you can look at it, and one panel is very much apparel, and the next panel is very much burn, yet it plays. It totally Uh plays, it totally works, and I really, really dig it. I I think this is a fantastic issue art-wise. Plus, I I really like the story. You know, what I'd like to do for this... I'd like to go ahead and get my my so-called negatives right the hell out of the way at the beginning. And I really only okay. have one, which is this. You can have your friggin' Batman Year One. Give me this any day. Because I think this is excellent. This is the way I like Batman. This is the origin I like. This is the way I like him portrayed. You know, I no longer find any of the Miller stuff appealing. I, I, I don't ultimately because not so much the merits of the of that material on its own, but just the direction it took the character. Because, like you said, everybody's been chasing that ever since, and got so far removed from this iteration of Batman, and it saddens me because I think this was Batman at his ultimate coolest. And uh, yeah, I love this issue, man. You know, it's 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 funny that you say that because the era that I read and followed Batman the longest was uh, like off and on in the late 80s. But then right around 94, I followed it for several years. And you had Chuck Dixon, Alan Grant, and Doug uh, Minch writing the yes. character. Mm-hmm. And really and truly, none of them were really chasing what Miller had done. They had like a dark Batman but none of it felt like we want to be angsty. You know, 
Dixon just had his detective Batman, you know, ultimate fighter version of the character. And Alan Grant wanted to explore the more psychological aspects of the character. And Mensch just wanted to have Swamp Thing show up. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Like the creepy supernatural stuff, which is not my favorite Batman stories, but Batman is a very malleable character and you can make him work in a number of settings. Right. I mean, some of the Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogel detective issues from like 1990 where Bruce Wayne is helping a bunch of disadvantaged inner city kids. Right. I mean, that's right out of this era. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I see. I, I love that stuff. That that's, I was still reading it at that time. I was reading Batman and, and faithful to it right up through it was somewhere between the first and second um, Burton films is when I felt like he crossed a line into something I just no longer cared to follow. Because it wasn't an immediate process. It wasn't like as soon as uh, Dark Knight Returns came out or as soon as Batman Year One came out that uh, the switch was thrown and all of a sudden it was just, oh, now it's all crap. It was a gradual process. It was a darkening process. And the, the Burton films didn't help. But at, at some point, because the, really the last thing I, I bought before I went to just kind of spottily buying Batman before I eventually just quit altogether was right around, uh, what was the name of that story where he got his back broken? Nightfall. Nightfall. Yeah. I think 500 was about my jumping off point because I was like, nope, this just is not not doing it for me anymore. But, but. I just want the, the super imposition of you looking at that Batman 500 where, you know, Asriel finally becomes Batman and, and puts on his own costume going, eh, I'm done. And then, like, the version of you that exists today reading new comics where Bruce Wayne dies and Dick Grayson becomes Batman going, eh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that seems like more of a natural progression for me. You know, for, for, uh, yeah, it, for it very Dick much to is. become, you know, Batman rather than this guy that, you know, we'd never heard of before. All of a sudden he's Batman with his goofy claws and all that. I, I got why they were doing it and I kind of accept why they were doing it. But again, we're not going to get into a tangent on my feelings about Nightfall because I could go on literally for <laughs> hours about it. So <laughs> I want to talk about page two, the title splash page. Mm-hmm. Holy cow, I would love a poster of this. God, that's a beautiful yeah. piece of art. And somebody out there somewhere needs to send Chris Nolan a copy of this book and circle yeah. Batman's head on this page. <laughs> that's how Batman looks. That's how you make Batman's cowl. It's perfect in this. I mean, I I seldom see Batman's head look better than it does in this picture right here. It's dead on perfect. You know, it's kind of funny you say that because the older I get, the more I really respond to this costume, this classic version of the costume mm-hmm. that was kind of done away with around uh, in 1994, 95, when they gave him a new costume after Prodigal. Right. And then he had the... Is that the trunkless of, one? Yeah, it was the trunkless black one, yeah. which was a neat costume. But not it just doesn't have the appeal of this. I have in my head like the iconic versions of these characters and how I want them to look. And it's not like I'm saying DC should go back to the, well, maybe they should, but because I've been so very vocal about not wanting them to backpedal about Grant Moore, uh, about uh, Hal Jordan right. and Barry Allen, right? I feel kind of hypocritical saying that they should go back to this and go back to that. But in my head, in my dreams. 
you know, in the mythical DC universe that exists within the mind of Michael Bailey. Uh, this is how Batman looks. Uh, it's very, it's basically, if you want to know what the DC universe looks in, like in my head, just track down the model sheets for the superpowers figures that Jose Luis Garcia Lopez <laughs> did. And there you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Absolutely. Though, oddly enough, Kyle Rayner is in there, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the little details of, of like, the, the milk spilling over and the two sandwiches on the plate. I mean, they packed a lot into that page. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you can see it shattered on the floor in the next panel. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, man. Just... Alfred, get busy and clean that up. <laughs> <laughs> and Alfred starts dancing because all he heard was Alfred get busy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what this... this uh, issue in particular reminds me is that okay superman's my favorite character has the best origin in comics but you know batman has such a really cool origin too yeah and it's so mythic greg rucko once said that the the and he was talking about why diane uh, wonder woman doesn't really work with a lot of people uh, is because, you, and, and i'm paraphrasing here but he said something to the effect of krypton could blow up today and the rocket could land in a few years, and as long as he's found by a kindly Midwestern farm couple that raises him to be a good person, Superman can exist in any era. Right. You could put a cap in Thomas and Martha Wayne tonight, and as long as you add a few more zeros to the Wayne fortune, Batman can exist. And that is why he, his origin is just so iconic is because it transcends time. I mean, they, they published a crapload of Elseworlds trying to prove this point. My thing with the Batman origin, though, and it's funny you bring that up because you actually lead right into one of my notes, is that we, we, we've seen this origin, maybe not as often as we've needed to see it in the, in the movies, for example, but we have seen this origin played out before. And my thing with the origin story is that I like the the classic nature of it. You know, they're walking through the alley and they're held up by Joe Chill. And depending on what era and what version you're getting, you know, Chill kills at least one of them. Most versions now have him shoot both of, of Bruce's parents. That's all iconic. And, and most people, even passingly familiar with comics or Batman, are familiar with the origins of that character. But to me... That story is never complete and never truly the complete origin story of Batman without that awesome panel that's recreated on page 15 here of Batman finally confronting, you know, the aged Joe Chill and throwing back his cowl and saying, I know because I'm the son of the man of the man of the people. I think they've changed this. I think it used to say of the man you murdered. Now it says the people you murdered. I know because I am Bruce Wayne. And I would love, love to see this on either the big or the small screen. And to my knowledge, it's never been done. And no, that's it, one it of hasn't. the reasons. It really hasn't. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that to this day, I still there's not a live action Batman film that I've really warmed to. I think that's part of my problem is that whether they go silly or whether they go super dark, just the simple fact that we continue to get the over-the-top 
supervillains, so to speak, you know, with Joker and Two-Face and the different yeah. ones. And we don't get this story. I think that's why, ultimately, I'm so disappointed with Batman movies because Batman doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't. he doesn't need to have a, a supervillain right out of the gate. I think you could make an incredible Batman movie just telling that story, and it would be engaging enough that people would really respond to it because it's ultimately, it's a revenge, or not, maybe not a revenge tale, but a, a, but a bringing the killer to justice tale of yeah. him being driven. And I mean, you could make it dark, you could make it entertaining, you could make it really uh, full of pathos and drama and all that sort of thing with just telling that story. You don't need to silly it up with killer clowns and things like that. And that that's the story I would love to see because this uh I love the way that Apero and Byrne recreated that panel because it looks exactly yes. the way it looks oh, yes, in Batman forty seven. They just you can tell it's their style, but the the angles that, that everything is happening at, I mean it's a complete homage to that scene from Batman forty seven and it's just beautiful and Probably my absolute favorite single Batman mo uh, moment ever in comics was when he finally confronts the killer of his parents. And, uh, oh, there a few years ago when they altered the Batman, the origin of Batman. Yeah, I was about to bring that up, actually. Yeah, when he didn't know the killer of his that drove me bananas. I'm so glad that they backpedaled on that after... Uh, Infinite Crisis. Yeah, right in the last issue of Infinite Crisis, Joe Chill killed his parents. Yeah. Because if it's anything that Infinite Crisis did right, that was it right there, was they brought that back. Because I think that's a staple. You've got to have that, or the whole, to me, the whole thing falls apart. The mythos doesn't work without him pursuing that forever, you know, going after that guy and everything. I, I know what they were going for. Yeah, I, I was about to bring that up, too. But I, it just doesn't work for me. I, I don't buy it. Well, the thing about it is, you know, Denny O'Neill, in his, like, 15-year or so, year, 10 years, as the editor of the Batman books, you know, he did a lot of things I agreed with. And, you know, he has written a lot of Batman stories that I absolutely love. But the two things that he did right after Zero Hour that I totally was just like, God, why are they doing that, was the Batman as urban legend thing. I was just like, I see where you're going, but that kind of ruins a lot of back issues of Batman. <laughs> you know, it's not like I want him in a parade, but to say, like, you know, like having the news refer to him as, you know, like the urban legend that may not even exist. It's just like, no, I, I, I kind of like the fact, you know, the, the Gotham City News having, like, a, a shot of Batman, like, taking somebody down. But the second was Joe Chill no longer being the killer of his parents, because if he caught the killer of his parents, he wouldn't, he would stop being Batman. And I think that totally misses the point yeah. of, of why he became Batman. I think that with something like that, what I would love to see if they were going to try something like that or if, if they feel like they have a problem, like you say, that once he catches the killer, what's the motivation to continue? I would like to see something like, say, the Andrea Beaumont storyline brought into canon of the comics. And I think you could tie that in. If there's one improvement I think that could be made to what I already consider a perfect movie, which is Mask of the Phantasm, I think that's just an incredible Batman movie. Mm -hmm. But I would like to have seen somehow 
the whole Joe, Joe Chill element brought into that movie. And I'm, I'm picturing something in my head like right at the time that he does this. He, he finds Chill. He reveals himself. It's all over in his mind. Then that's when the break with Andrea happens. And he realizes that he's built his entire life and existence and everything towards this. And when she leaves him, what the hell does he have left? And that's why he goes... Because the movie already kind of works that way. When she leaves him in the movie, he'd already made up his mind. There was that great part of the movie where he proposes to her and she says, you know, I never thought you knew what to do with me because I wasn't part of the plan. And he says, you know, I'm changing the plan. But when she leaves... That's that moment of the movie with the with the score and, and him hanging his head. I it brings a tear to my eye every single time I see it because that's the moment in the movie where he goes back to the plan. He has nothing left, you know. He he might as well go back to it. It's because I think he he realizes the 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 fate and destiny aspects of his own life, you know, his own origin. And I love that moment of the movie. And if they could somehow tie Joe Chill in with that in either the movie or the con- – I, I think that would be – that was like – not that there's anything missing necessarily, but that would be like totally solid. That would be the solidification of that entire story. And I would love to see them be able to work something like that in the comic. And that would solve – you know any writer's issue or any beef with you know well, once he's caught his you know the killer well, you know, why would he continue well there you go what what it, what the hell else is he going to do you know well you know I, I think the answer to that question is simple so uh, and it was said in that Justice League episode where they fought the Justice Lords is like you know so that no other eight year old has to lose right. their parent because some cr- some punk with a gun you know Joe Chill's important. Finding the ki- the killer of his parents is incredibly important. I am not trying to in any way say that that shouldn't happen, but I think once that ha- once that happens, he would be like, I, you know, mom, dad, I have fulfilled my vow to you, but my work is too important. Right. What I'm doing now, what I have built, this life that I lead, has is too important to the people of Gotham City. And in your memory, I am still going to go on. And I think that works just as well. Right. But I'm freaky, so what do you expect? (laughs) (laughs) On uh, page four, panel two, I love the little, uh, I don't know what you would call it, Easter egg, I guess, that the the outfit of one of the people at the party kind of resembles Angel's costume from the X-Men. I get a kick out of that. (laughs) I think that's cool. That's funny. And Leslie Tompkins, I don't, I guess I never really thought about it before, didn't realize it, or maybe the name never stood out when I read this years ago as a kid, but I guess I never realized that she actually did exist in the comics before the animated series. For some reason, I thought that she was a character that spun out of the animated series. There's There's a great story that the animated series kind of adapts, where he goes to visit her on the anniversary of his parents' death, and they walk together to Crime Alley Mm -hmm. to lay down the flower, the rose. And she looked a little different then. She was more of kind of a dowdy old lady. Maybe that's why I didn't... Maybe that's why I thought she was unique to the show, because now that you say that, I do kind of remember that story, but I didn't associate her 
with Leslie. You know what I mean? I didn't I didn't put the name with the with the character because yeah, you're right. I think she does look different in the comics. But uh, eventually, she would she would basically become virtually indistinguishable from Gretchen Kelly from the uh, yes. Superman series. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but maybe. But maybe that's just me. Well, like I was saying at the beginning, there's so much of this as I was reading that I go, wow, I forgot about that because, uh, yeah, Uncle Philip? Wow, I totally forgot about that. And also the Mrs. Chilton. Now, did he ever find out about Mrs. Chilton and her connection with Joe Chill? Because I I don't remember that either. I have to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I really would, but I can't. I'm sorry. I think that may have been a secret that uh, pre-crisis Alfred took uh, took to his grave or whatever you know whatever happened to these characters. I, I do have to ask you really quick though. How do you feel about the retcon a couple years ago that um, uh, one of the things I think that the post-crisis Batman did right was bring Alfred in when he was a kid. I love that. I, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that makes a lot more sense. But having said that. <laughs> Um, what do My you think only of- problem with that was that post crisis, I didn't li- I like. I like. I totally agree with you. I like Alfred having always been there, and I think maybe that's why I had forgotten. See, I've I've gotten so used to the post crisis incarnations that I'd really forgotten a lot of this. You know, like we were saying, Uncle Philip. I to- I just for- totally forgot about that because I'm used to the version where Alfred was the one that was there. Alfred was basically the one that had been the surrogate father. Yeah, I do like that better. The one thing I didn't like, and I was really kind of ticked, was right after the crisis, that a lot of the storylines that I had been following for, I don't know, at least a year, probably more, um, just prior to the crisis, a lot of those stories were invalidated because uh, Alfred's daughter had come into Batman's life and played a pretty significant part. Yes. And I'm pretty sure that she's retconned away now. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like that. I, I, I thought that she was actually a pretty cool and and uh, I thought she was a fully formed character. You know, she wasn't just, uh, you know, just there. She actually, um, what am I trying to A little too melodramatic in the, the, like, love triangle aspect of the Vicky Vale Alfred's daughter, Bruce Wayne thing, but uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying though. At the same time, mm-hmm. so I'm re- I'm reading that stuff. Uh, in some cases, rereading, and in some cases, reading that stuff for the first time. So, see, that's, I, uh, that's the stuff I grew up on. I, I need to look back on it again myself because maybe I wouldn't be so fond of it now. But I remember <laughs> when I read it growing up, that I, I was just eating that stuff up. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But I, I I did enjoy. I can't remember what was her name. It was like Julia or something like that, right? Yeah, uh, Julia. She had a French last name because she was raised by somebody else. Well, wasn't she like Mad, um, Mademoiselle Marie's daughter or something like that? I can't. Remember. I forget. I used, but, I used to know that. Now I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've read that stuff. But going back to to the question, what do you think of the retcon of Leslie Tompkins and uh, Alfred getting it on and having a looking like a purely sexual relationship while Bruce was away. I'm cool with that. Okay. <laughs> Alfred needs love too. There you go. Butler's need pay. love too. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, I could man. be so rude, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Yeah, I, I'm admiring your restraint, sir. I really am. <laughs> I like... There's so many panels in this that I like, and so many that look like they're definite callbacks to earlier... You know, things earlier uh, artists had done in earlier tellings of the origin and stuff, but I really love page seven, that first panel of oh, him yeah. swearing his vow at his parents' grave. I love that picture. Yeah, it's 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 pretty freaking awesome. I mean, I'm like you. The, the the trick here would be finding a panel I didn't freaking like. There's a couple. There's a couple. There, I found that the pastel-looking pages were a little bit weird. Like page nine with uh, Bruce's Robin. That's oh, very you're talking fit- the, the the flashback montages that yeah. he does here, and then with the villains. Yeah, that, that's that's very Ditko esque in that, and I like the way Robin looks. But I, I guess what it really—it's not so much the art; it's just the coloring. The coloring doesn't do it for me. It's got this weird pastel-looking coloring to it that just—I uh, yeah. I can see your point. Yeah, it's just I remember the first time I saw this though was in that reprint. The coloring in that reprint is awesome. It really is. You're I, talking about the serial one? Yeah, I, I need to dig that out because I've got se- several. Ver- I ordered. I like wish I still had it. I really do because that's one of those things from you know my teenage collecting years that I absolutely just adored. Uh, up and down, so. Kind of sad, I'm not mistaken. I think they also did one of those like, like pocket book size. Yes, they did. Uh, I'm looking at the wiki page. They did a single 160 page paperback. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that, but I'd like to. I'd like to check it out. Probably. I. I bet you this would look really uh, sharp in black and white. So I, I'm, I'm uh, imagining that's black and white anyway. So I'm, I'm at the wiki page right now, and they do address why Byrne only did one issue. Uh-oh. Uh, and this is apparently from a message board post about the art controversy by John Byrne on his own site. Uh, he didn't something. like Aparo's inks, I bet you. Ten bucks, that's what it... Because he never likes anybody else's inks on his, on his artwork. And this is what Byrne himself says at his message board. Uh, I was at a convention in Chicago when I heard DC was planning a book about the history of Batman. I was not under contract to Marvel at the time, and I had a three-month window upcoming into which I could fit such a project. So since I had wanted to do Batman since, like, forever, I contacted the editor and told him I was available. A short time later, one of the powers that were at DC got in touch with me, saying they would be thrilled to have me work on the project, but unfortunately, they would not be able to match my Marvel page rate. No problem, said I. This was Batman. I would just about do it for free. So I agreed to do the series, and Terry Austin signed on figuratively to ink. Then I waited for the plot for the first issue, and waited, and waited. The whole first month of my three-month window went by with nothing forthcoming. Finally, into the second month, the plot arrived. I was a little disappointed to see it basically a cut-and-paste story, requiring me to do little beyond redrawing previous scenes. But it was Batman! And I really wanted to do Batman. I looked at my schedule and decided I could fit the four issues into two months, provided there were no further slips. I got the first issue penciled, and it was lettered and even shown to Terry, who is in the office around this time, and I waited for the second plot. And waited, 
and waited. The third month of my three-month window slipped into the past. The window closed. I called the editor and said I would not be able to finish the project. He said he'd get me the first half of the second plot in a week or two if I could just be patient. I reminded him that I had said from the beginning I had three months in which I could do this. The three months were gone. I could no longer do it. Then the same higher-up who had called to tell me they could not match my Marvel rate called to offer me double my Marvel rate if I would finish the project. I bristled at this. Where was all this extra money suddenly appearing from and still declined? When the project was finally announced, DC added insult to injury by reporting to the fan press that I had quit the project unexpectedly and Jim Aparo was being called in to finish and to ink Burns' very loose pencils on the first issue. Terry who, as noted, had seen the first issue, sent around a couple letters to various scenes informing him that the pencils were every bit as tight, i.e. very, as what he was inking on X-Men. It was a long time after that before I felt like doing anything for DC again. Can't blame the guy. No, not at all. Hmm. That's not the story I've heard before. See, the problem is is that Byrne gets slandered. That's one of the reasons that it really pisses me off when I hear uh, people knock Byrne. You know, and, and really, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of burn detractors because I, now I realize that, you know, I'm, uh, what did they used to call a little burn? I think they called them burn victims back in the day. You know, I was, I was glad to be one of them. You know, I, I, I fully admit I'm a major John Byrne fan, even to this very day. And, uh, and I realize the guy's got a massive ego and all that, but you know, that's cool. I mean, you know, so does Captain Kirk and he's cool as hell. So, but, uh. You know, a lot of times these things would get reported in the fan press and just carried forward as gospel truth because this was back in the pre-internet days where you couldn't always get access to the other sides of the story and stuff like that. But anyway, long the long and short of it is the story I heard was pretty much the, the what he's trying to dispel with this article, it sounds like, that, you know, he'd up and quit the book and there was some sort of huff and all that sort of thing. And the reason I had heard given was that he didn't like... Um, Aparo's inks or something to that effect because I hear that story all the time that he's never satisfied with anybody else's uh, inks on his material except his own and which is ironic because that's usually when Byrne looks his weakest when he inks himself I don't yeah. know why that is but it just is it's just a fact I, I, I think you know a friend of mine who's uh, who's an artist kind of explained it to me that when burn pencils he pencils very tight so the inker can either blow it or he can just kind of highlight what's already there when burn inks himself it seems like he's doing very loose pencils and finishing an ink and something in the texturing is lost and looking at it i kind of agree with that you know dude i would love to know more info on on this particular issue if this is one of those things, you know, going by what you were just reading about Burn, I almost wonder if, if parts of this might have become one of those many hands projects. Okay. Because the more I look at that page nine, god damn, does that look like there's some Ditko in there to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, is it just me? Um, maybe a little bit, but not skinny enough. Uh, I don't I don't know. But yeah, I, I just I I kind of look at some of these pages or some certain panels and go, hmm, I wonder if uh, there was some ghost inking going on here, or something <laughs> just to get it, you know, get it all together or what. But uh, not knocking it, man, because it looks fantastic. You know, another thing that jumped out at me today as I was going back over this for my notes, 
I think another reason I really like this origin so much, this is the self-made Batman origin. There's none of that ninja bullshit. You know, there's none of that Bruce Wayne goes to the mountain bullshit. You know, I, I used to like that. I used to really like that story of, you know, Bruce traveling the world and going to secret mountains in Nepal or whatever the hell to you know to get his ninja and I've since the the sen- the pendulum has swung the other way for me. I really now can't stand that shit. I really like the the self-made cuz for one thing, you know, people talk about Superman being boring when he's too powerful. You know, when he can move planets and moons and stuff, he he be, he loses something of being able to connect to us. I think Batman in his own way is the same thing. When Batman becomes the perfect physical specimen and has mastered every form of Kung Fu and martial arts on the planet and is like the master fucking fighter, he loses something. Because as a kid, I know it could never really happen, but as a kid, didn't you have a feeling of, I, you know, I could be Batman. Yeah. If I had the determination, you know, you look at uh, page 10, second panel. He's doing push-ups. He's doing the parallel ring thing, whatever the hell you call that. He's punching the bag. You know, it shows him studying hard psychology and criminology and all this stuff. And and I think that's part of the the kid fantasy of Batman, you know, when you're a child, is that you, you get this sense of, you know, I could do that. If I really was driven, I could do that. You know, and also if I had a couple million dollars in the bank, I could do that. <laughs> you know, I could work out and I, I could pump, you know, pump iron and push you know lift weights and all that sort of thing i could become batman but then post miller again it sounds like i'm bashing miller and i don't mean to it's just that's where things changed for me you know he became you know i remember that ad that drove me nuts that was in all the comics where it said something something to the effect of you know he's the greatest fighter there's ever been the perfect physical specimen or some shit you know the world's greatest detective how did he get that way batman year 1 and i had a right from the get go that i had a problem with it because you know before i ever read the thing because i don't like that i don't want him to be perfect i want him to have fallibilities you know you know i do too but at the same time the uh it was actually the the first <laughs> the the first disgruntled thing I ever heard Shag say was I was on this um, on this panel at DragonCon and, and it finally just deteriorated into who could beat who in a fight, <laughs> but um, which all fan arguments pretty much just boil down to that. But somebody was talking about you know Batman being the greatest you know fighter of all time and Shag just says very loud, very annoyed by the way, he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. And I agree with that. I agree with that completely, as a matter of fact. At the same time, though, Bruce Wayne strikes me as somebody that would want to be able to take care of himself, and he attacks everything that he does with the same intensity. Right. So to a certain extent, it makes sense that he would track down the world's greatest fighters to learn from him, because that is only going to aid him. Having said that, I think in the 90s, it got way out of control. With him, with fighting being like the most important thing he does, and not the detective work, and not the gadgets, and not everything else that makes Batman origin uh, cool. But I guess my problem, though, is that 
again, you know, I realize this is comic books and it's about people parading around in their underpants and, and long underwear, but you know, <laughs> can he really be the master of so many things? I'm cool with him being the world's greatest detective. I'm even cool with him being the world's greatest escape artist. But when you start making him the world's greatest this and the world's greatest that, you're 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 getting into Superman territory. Suddenly he's got too many freaking superpowers and he becomes boring. So if he's the world's greatest detective and escape artist and fighter and this and that and planner and all this other stuff, then he loses something of that connectivity to where a kid can look at him and go, I could do that, you know, because I, I, I realize right now that, you know, there's no way that I could go to some fucking mountain in Nepal and learn these secret Kung Fu moves that only like because I remember there was a ridiculous story in Batman. I want to say it was sometime in the 90s. Where people, somebody was going around killing people with this like quivering hand technique or some fucking stupid thing. And it turned out that Batman was like one of three people on the planet who knew this quivering hand technique that they had learned on some mountain somewhere. And so he knew exactly who to go after. And it was just, it was just stupid. <laughs> I hate stories like that because I want him to be, yes, I want him to be able to take care of himself. I want him to be in top physical shape and, and, and be a master of the martial arts and all that. But at the same rate, I don't want him to be the best because that's boring. I want there to be people that could conceivably take him down, take him down or hold their own or, you know, which is actually why I liked Bane. Yeah. I mean, I really like Bane. A lot of people mock Bane, but Bane was a great idea for a bat villain. Because it's somebody who is just as smart as him. Because Bane is a master tactician. Yeah. But is driven in a different way and willing to go an extra level to make himself physically superior. I think the reason people mock Bane, and I, I, I was guilty of that at one time myself too, but they've since brought him into Secret Six and I've come to really find something in that character again, you know, from, from the early days. Uh, when he came along, I think the problem with Bane is the same problem they had with uh, with Venom. You know, when those characters came along, they were new and they were unique and they were kind of cool. And then all of a sudden they were in every goddamn comic. And it was like, oh, I'm so sick of this, you know, and and they start mutating them away from their original badass selves into something that becomes a parody of the thing that was cool. <laughs> and then everybody hates them. It's funny that you say that because. Uh... Zach Joyner and I had that same conversation about Venom a couple days ago <laughs> for an episode of Views from the Long Box. So, oh, wow. <laughs> that was exact. I, I don't know who made the point, but one of us said pretty much that about Venom is that he was a great idea that got out of control. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I would argue that Bane was the same way. He was, uh, he was a good idea in the beginning, and then he just got silly f- from overexposure. So what did we say about not going off on tangents? Oh, I'm telling you, yeah. <laughs> long already, and we've only gone through the first issue. Well, there's just so much to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, there, there is, especially in this first one. Hopefully the next two will go much quicker. Um, let me see, my, my last two things on this one. This is my favorite Batmobile, by the way. I love the Batmobile that he drives in this issue. It's uh, For anybody who doesn't have access to this uh this issue wonders what Batmobile I'm talking about. This is like the one that uh, he drove like in the 70s cartoon series. I think that was uh, – what was that? Uh, Filmation. 
And also, didn't isn't this the superpowers Batmobile as well? It, it, it's kind of the superpowers Batmobile. Um, I think they made like one or two very subtle changes to the design, but I have to agree with you because the superpowers Batmobile is my Batmobile. That's the Batmobile I love complete with battering Ram and grappling hook. Yep. I love that. I want a Batmobile so bad I can fucking taste it. (laughs) So, and it tastes like plastic and, and, and low self esteem. (laughs) Also, do you, you have the paper issue of this, right? Yes, I do. I have it right in front of me. All right. I need your help because I think I've made a horrifying discovery in my issue as I was looking at it today. Uh-huh. Okay. What is across from page 14 for you in your book? Historic war games. Uh-huh. All right. What's on the other side of that page? Or, uh, like a bunch of comic ads, and then it cuts right to it cuts to the scene with uh, J- Joe Chill where he takes off the mask. Okay, yeah, that page is missing out of my book. Mine goes straight from fourteen to fifteen, so there is actually a page missing in my book. I was like, yeah, <gasps> I thought I thought it felt funny when I picked it up when I took it out of the the bag and board I was like man this feels like a light it's issue. really odd when you can tell that too yeah like, I know you it's... feel an old comic and you're like somebody cut pages out of this yeah it's like suddenly you're fucking rain man so it means um, yeah you've been into comics way too long when you can tell just by the heft of it <laughs> that one wanna... page is missing out of it <laughs> Do we want to talk about the ads at all, or do we just want to kind of skip that for this episode? Uh, originally, I was like, "Oh, we got to do the ads," but yeah, we're gonna. This will be like a three-hour episode if we. Uh... Okay. The only one I want to mention is Superman and the Amazing Spider-Man, because oh, that's, see, that's kind of not a... in my book. So yeah, go ahead, run with that. Uh, there's a full-page ad for the the sequel to Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. And the only reason I really want to mention it is as a tease for about a month or so from now. Yes, we are so. definitely going to cover that. Is that what's on that missing page of mine? The Superman? No. Oh, I must have more more than that that, that one page missing. Yeah, this one uh, next to page 11 is a Bubble Yum uh, ad, and then on the back of that is Superman and the Amazing Spider-Man, and then there is an MPC model ad for Black Hole. Uh, you, sh- you should still have that, because that's opposite of page 12. No. No, I don't. Mine goes straight from page 11 to page 12, so I have, like, the centerfold is missing out of this. Wow. But it, but it's on that page. What the hell is going on with the issue of this yeah. book? Yeah, I mean, I'm not that? missing anything as far as story. All the story pages are here, but it's like somebody just pulled all the friggin' ads out. And that makes you sad. <laughs> Because the ads are awesome in these things. <laughs> these books were forty cents, dude. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to just track down another copy of this. It does have that awesome OJ Simpson's ad, which I'm yes I'm, with the dingoes. Yeah, I'm really tempted to to reenact <laughs> that, but that's okay. We'll save that for. Um, the one thing I am gonna mention before we go further is I paid about two dollars an issue for the set I have, and I bought it on my honeymoon. Ah. My wife and I drove back into Georgia because we were just right over the border on Chattanooga because there was this uh, this uh, town near Oglethorpe uh, or a shop near Oglethorpe, and, they, and it was a nice shop. The guys were really friendly in there. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like some of the other shops we had been to in Chattanooga, where one I just wanted to set the place on fire because it was literally 
like every socially disadvantaged 14 and 15 year old was in that place playing <laughs> D&D that night and when we walked in it was about like that scene in the police academy movies where the commandant and his little assistant show up at that gay bar it's just like da, 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 da. <laughs> but um God, I wanted to punch those people. But no, I found it. It was like $2 a piece, which I thought was a really good price. And they're in good condition, too. So this is part of my honeymoon. Well, I would just like to say that you've solved a a mystery for me, actually, that, you know, I know that you and Rachel have been trying for some time to have children. And the fact that you were out buying comic books (laughs) on your honeymoon um, explains a great many things to me why that has not come to pass. Do you you really want me to argue this point with you, sir? I'm sorry, was that mean? <laughs> I'm just teasing, dude. I know, I was just giving you shit. <laughs> this, this is more of that office. friendly banter that we're so famous for. You suck. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta pass it on, because I, I was busted on today. I'll tell you about that later on, though. But uh... Alright, are we ready for issue two? Because we need to speed this along, dude. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> I hope you liked that conversation. <laughs> All right, issue two of Untold Legend of the Batman. This is the uh, August 1980 issue entitled With Friends Like These. Uh, the writer is uh, Len Wein. Artist is Jim Aparo. There is no inker listed on this, so I'm assuming that uh, Jim inks himself on this particular issue. Um. We open to a title splash page showing the seedy patrons of the Last Resort Bar turning in horror as the Dread Avenger bursts through the front door. He needs info, and he proceeds to slap the shit out of a lowlife named Snitch in order to get it. But a voice orders, that's enough. And the Batman turns to find his partner, Robin the Teen Wonder, uh, concerned about his friend and mentor, has tailed him. This kind of snaps Batman out of it, and they leave as he brings Robin up to speed on exactly what's been happening, including the destruction of his dad's bat costume that kind of kicked this whole thing off. At this point, we get an awesome uh, apparel version of the origin of Robin. This is one of my personal favorite superhero backstories, by the way. And I oh, yeah. Really, I, I, have, uh, I have reams of notes on this, by yeah. the way. <laughs> this is, uh, I love this presentation of it. This particular version of it is really awesome. So they return to Wayne Towers. Is it Wayne Tower or Wayne Towers? I can't even remember. I think it's Wayne Towers. Uh, I can't remember either, but this, this is the, uh, for people that don't really know it, during the early, late 60s, uh, Batman left Wayne Manor for a time, right? For like over a decade, really. Yeah, and took up residence in a penthouse apartment above, like where his business offices were, and the Batcave was basically the sub levels of the penthouse, right? So uh, See, when I as, when I was coming up as a kid, that's where he lived was in the tower. So that was the version I was most familiar with. And I love the Batcave, and I love Wayne Manor, but there's something really freaking awesome about a swinging bachelor pad where Batman Hell lives yeah. with Alfred. <laughs> Hell yeah. So anyway, they return to the tower and the swanky new Batcave beneath, and Batman is kind of a dick to Alfred. 
So the butler and uh, Robin, they go kind of go off in a corner and they confer and they both express their concern for their friend's state of mind because they know about this enigmatic explosion that has supposedly kind of put Batman off his rocker. And we get uh, Alfred's origin story as a freedom fighter in World War II and also a Shakespearean thespian. And- to which I can only add, viva la resistance! <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, Sorry. due to uh, a deathbed promise to his dying father to carry on the family business, the revelation of how he came to be the manservant of the Dark Knight detective, which I thought was cool. I, I, again, I'd kind of forgotten that element that Alfred, you know, in this continuity hadn't always been there. So I, I kind of like that. Although I do find that story a little bit silly that he just basically he just butts his way into Batman's life, which <laughs> kind of yeah, it's just bizarre. like, you know, we're super secret crime fighters. Let's let the old British guy move in because that's <laughs> going to go well. <laughs> Meanwhile, Batman pours through the files on all his enemies, frustrated because any one of these dudes could be behind this whole thing. And he recounts the origins of a couple of his top bad guys, namely uh, the Joker and Two-Face. Robin tries to lighten Batman's mood in, uh, you know, with a proposed trip to uh, police headquarters. And he jumps excitedly into the Batmobile. But a sudden beep, beep, beep noise causes him to yell, hit the dirt! And the Batman's ride is blown to smithereenies, which is a shame because I really like that car leaving behind only a singed note that reads, One by one, I will destroy the things that make you what you are, and then I will destroy you. And we're left with a final panel of the masked manhunter swearing, Oh, now it is on, bitches. That's actually not what he says, but yeah, you get the point. And, uh, yeah, right up there with issue one, I loved this issue as well. I would love to see Kevin Conroy in the Batman voice go, it's on like Donkey Kong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I'm such a sick and twisted human being. Um, There is a lot to like in this issue. Uh, Yes. And and I'll kind of go through my notes in a quicker succession than we did for the first issue, which may lead to an unbalanced episode, but uh, what the hell. Um, This scene where he's slapping the guy that pulls a gun on him. One, I love scenes where guys pull guns on Batman and he just loses his shit over yep. it. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you, you idiot. The the Leslie Tompkins story we were talking about earlier actually has a, a guy pulls a knife on him. He goes, I'll, you know, you drop the knife or I'll cram it down your throat sideways. It was like, ooh, ow. Um, but this kind of scene Marv Wolfman used in Batman Year 3 when Batman was trying to find information and Nightwing was like following the bloody trail when he was going kind of crazy. So I I, kind of like that that scene was uh, redone years later. Robin's origin is another one of those classic ones. What I really like that they go through is that Robin didn't lose his parents in Gotham. He lost them in this town called Newtown. And in the original origin, he like went undercover as a newsie. And you don't have to put the, the newsies music in the background. No, I won't. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I didn't have to worry about that. But nope, no problem. 
But I love I love that concept that it wasn't you know you know is that he you know he finds Robin, he gets a legal guardianship of Dick Grayson, you know the training begins. We get another one of those pastel like flashback things, but it's only a panel. But but that he like like it was an actual case. Like, it right. wasn't just they go off to face Boss Zuko. No, he used the Batman's own methods. And I was like, that's a really awesome way to bring Robin into the thing. But what I love specifically about this this origin is, one, we get a really badass one-page ad for the new Teen Titans, which was just about to come out around this time. And it's really awesome. <laughs> I don't know if that's in yours uh or, or not across from page nine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This this issue, thankfully, is uh, like mint condition. So yeah, no problems with that in this particular one. But also the fact that Dick Grayson's life kind of sucked at times. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I, I'm sorry. I don't buy the fact that he was all upset that all these beautiful women were fawning over him because I'm sure Dick caught a little of. Uh, Bruce Wayne's leavings when he was a teenager, if you know what I'm saying. But, um, but you know, the, the guy picking on him at school and calling him a chicken, I really feel bad for the criminals that Robin faced that night. Yeah. Because you know he double-kicked their ass. <laughs> it's just... Oh, man. But I love that concept, that he that he had to hide who he was and that being Robin was great, but being Dick Grayson ward of of millionaire philanthropist, Bruce Wayne kind of sucked ass. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I, it's another reason why I like this series so much is you get those moments as much as I like Alfred being there from the beginning, this kind of works too, that Alfred was, you know, this, you know, a commando in world war two, an actor, and then he becomes a butler. And sometimes in life, that kind of shit happens. Right. It's like, I don't know about you and your retail experience, but did you ever, like, run across the guy that was, like, a Navy SEAL in his former life? And you're like, how the fuck did you get to be stocking shelves at Home Depot when, like, 20 years ago, you were snapping necks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> knee-deep in Charlie in, in, in Vietnam? So. <laughs> but that's kind of the awesome thing about Alfred is that, you know, he came... And and was accepted as part of the uh, the growing family. Do you notice that they don't really mention Aunt Harriet? I was just as happy about that anyway because I never liked her. So I'm but, glad that that was kind of just breezed. I think there actually was a mention somewhere. I just failed to uh, to make a note of it. But I, I I could swear that I read her at least her name once somewhere in the course of this miniseries. I could be wrong about that though. Um, page sixteen. I love the 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 splash page of all the photos of the of Batman's villains. Yeah. Just bad ass piece of artwork. And then we get the origin of the Joker, and this is the origin of the Joker, no matter what Alan Moore says. And the origin of Two Face, which is just really sad when you really think about it. Of all the of all the Bat villains, he's like one of the most tragic. Uh mm-hmm. you know, because he was a good guy that just like Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson would say uh, on their show, just had a really bad day. You know, if you look at Batman's rogues galleries, it's just full of people that had one really bad day that scarred (laughs) them for life. (laughs) Yes. Compared to the hero who had a really bad day and used it to become a hero. Batman flat out has the best rogues gallery in comics. 
I know people like to bring up Spider-Man, and I will agree that Spider-Man has about the second best, uh, with Flash coming in almost at third. But Batman's Rogues Gallery, best in comics. And it hurts me as a Superman fan to have to say that. But it's the truth. You know, he's got him. He's got him beat. I know you're kind of sick of the Joker, but I love the Joker. But I also love the Riddler and Two-Face and Rachel Ghoul and Poison Ivy. Even Mr. Freeze in this goofy outfit he's wearing at the time. You know, if any character in comics should bend down and thank God for Bruce Timm and Paul Dini every single night, it's Victor Freeze. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, because I love the. Uh, I think part of the, the the charm and part of the appeal of that character for me on the animated series is, um, and I just completely blanked on the actor's name, but the actor that voices him, he's just yeah. in that, just, just flat and you know no aff- affect to his voice, right? And I, they they. In later, you know, after his very first appearance, they started doing a little bit of uh, tinkering, you know, digitally with his voice and gave him that kind of electronic-y sound. And it just, oh, I love it. Uh, Michael Ansara, that's his name. Uh, great actor. And uh, but, but I see really just brought something to that character that I found, I've always found lacking in all of his comic book appearances. But I completely see your point that it might have been better off to just kind of include some of the little bits from issue three into this issue and make it like a giant, like, 64-page special. Because all of the elements of this issue that I like are all of the flashbacks. And it's nothing to do, like you said, with the main story. Uh, My last note, and I'm sure you will agree with me on this, don't you really want that poster on opposite of page 20? that looks like it was drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Yes, I do. I always have. I used to have uh, an automated search going in eBay looking for this, and it never materialized. So I ended is up... that Neil Adams or is that Lopez? I think it's Lopez, but it's hard to tell because there's aspects of it that make me almost wonder if it might be a jam as well. It's kind of hard to tell. But God. just judging strictly by... Superman, Superman and yeah. Captain Marvel. Um, I think that it's uh, I think that it's Lopez, but it is hard to tell. But but that's me. Um, I love this issue just as much as I love the first one. I, I really, really only have a couple notes on this one. Um, for one, I'm not crazy about the cover on this one. I don't know why. It just really? looks a little wonky to me. I yeah, I was never all that crazy about the well, cover. He is playing kind of leapfrog with the, uh, yeah. with the Batmobile, so there you go. I think the art in this one is a bit of a step down, but that's probably not fair because this is following you know the the issue where it was Burn and Apero, so it's probably not a fair thing to say that it's a step down. Plus, I think the coloring is a little bit off in this. Is it, is this the same colorist as the first issue? I can't. Um, Glennis Ween. I already put it back in the bag. Yeah, I did too. That's so. all right. You don't have to dig it back out. Okay. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, but it's just it's not quite as dark as the first because the dark style of the first one really suited that book. Yes, very much so. And this one's not as dark art wise, but uh, I still love it. And uh, I think possibly my favorite panel in this particular issue is on page four, that third panel. Where we see it's the first time we get the full body shot of Robin 
in this issue. You know, you can laugh at me all you want. I loved this version of Robin, and I love that costume. I was just a big Robin fan as a kid. I really somehow identified with Robin. And reading this issue made me realize how very much I miss this version of Robin. I mean, I realize that there's, you know, there's been cool Robin since, you know, we got uh, uh, Jason Todd and then we got uh, Tim Drake and all that. And I like those guys. But once they changed from the classic outfit and they, they went to the one with the leggings and all that, the uh, I think that was a uh, Tim Burton inspired costume, wasn't it? You know who designed that costume? I thought it was Tim Burton. Neil Adams designed that costume. The the one with the leggings that they were yes. supposedly going to use for like Batman two or three or whatever. Um, I don't know about that, but I know that the design of, of of Tim's costume that he had for years was a Neil Adams design. Huh. No, I, I guess I didn't know that. So um, yeah, there's some there's some really cool images out there of. Uh, of like Adams drawing the costume. See, you know what? You you won't hear me making fun of you because even though I feel a little weird about liking the pixie boots and everything, it was really um, George Perez. Perez, thank you. Um, that made me love his costume. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Because he he made it layered. You know, a lot of artists and 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 Aparo is kind of guilty of this at times as well kind of make it look like the whole thing is one flat costume. Right. But Perez would show him, like, with the cape off, just wearing the vest kind of open and the green undershirt underneath. Right. And you realize, oh, it's 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 a, it's components. There's layers to the costume. One fits over the other. Right. And, and he made that cape look so good. And, you know, if you could make a guy wearing no pants pixie boots and green underwear look cool, then you're just about the best damn artists on the planet. He did though, because that was the time that, uh, cause my first issue of teen Titans where I discovered teen Titans was, uh, I might be wrong in the actual issue number. I think it's 24, but they were right in the middle of the Blackfire storyline. And it was where Superman guest started. And you you open it up, and the and the title splash page was Robin talking to Superman on the JLA satellite. And it was right at that time when Superman had been halved by Lord Satanus. And so they were trying to get Superman's help, and he's like, "I can't help you. I got only got half my powers right now." And that was my introduction to the new Teen Titans with Wolfman and Perez. And right off the bat, I bought the issue for Superman. But I stuck around because Perez's version of Robin just blew me away. I loved the way he drew, you know, this character who I already had an affinity for anyway. But he just, you know, it, like you say, Robin is one of those outfits that it is a little bit silly. And you, it takes the right artist to make it look cool. And uh -huh. some people could do it and some people couldn't. And Perez and, and Apero were a couple that really could do it very well. Uh-huh. And and Lopez, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, some of that promo art and stuff that he oh, did. Yes. Oh yes, yeah, God. fantastic stuff, <laughs> fantastic stuff. Well, you you're a Georgia boy, and you don't live too awful far from me. Have you ever been to uh, to Six Flags? Not since I was 13 years old. So, have you been there since they have the uh, the whole Gotham City element to Six I have, Flags? I have not seen it. No. 
Now, you know, I wouldn't say it's worth the price of admission just to go for that or anything because I'm not a Six Flags fan. But they have a carousel there that's a Batman carousel. And all of the art on that thing is Garcia Lopez. And it has, you know, all the villains, all the Bat family characters and everything. And it's just awesome to just look at the art that's on it. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's just this giant full-size carousel, Batman-themed, by by Lopez. And it's like, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. I don't know where I was going with that. I just thought I'd mention that. No, I, I appreciate it. I just... We don't go to uh, Six Flags all that much. Uh, I gotcha. Well, you're I'm, not missing anything because that. No, because I hate I hate me. roller coasters. I hate roller coasters. Oh, I, fire up a thousand phones. Well, I, that's another thing we share in common. Then I'm, I'm scared just, to death of them. I no. When I was on when I was 13, I visited down here. We went to Six Flags and I went on the Mind Bender, and that was pretty much it for me in roller coasters because <laughs> I hated the sensation. Is that the rickety wooden one? Uh, no, the wooden one I kind of dug because it didn't have too many drops. Oh, okay. It was just, you know, like that mine train, I think it was called, where it just goes from side to side. That was kind of cool. Right. But, you know, going up that first hill, I'm like, this is... Oh, the mine bender's that Riddler one, isn't it? Uh... Is that the Riddler? Uh, I think they re- re-themed it to be like Riddler or something. Yeah, that one's... that way. Yeah, there's no way I'd ride something like that. So, yeah, not happening. <laughs> That's all I've got on issue two. Alrighty, let's get to issue three then, which has a really neat cover of Batman kind of sw- jumping down from what looks like a fire escape. Yes. Uh, the the interesting thing about the series is that the title, The Untold Legend of the Batman, is different on every cover, except for that Bat logo, which is my favorite Bat logo, by the way. They really didn't have like a uniform look to it. Right. I never really noticed that, but you're absolutely right. There's another aspect that I have been remiss to mention on all of these covers. This is like one of the first time DC tried to make something collectible. Mm-hmm. Because every on the first cover, begin a collector's mini series extra with a series with extra pages and extraordinary excitement. The second issue, an instant collector's item. The extraordinary mini series continues with the origins of Robin Alfred and more. Uh, and the collector's mini series concludes. So watches kinda... the Batman bears all. Oh no, it doesn't even bears every secret. Never mind. It turns out he's hung like a five year old, but anyways, <laughs> Sorry. That's why he has a utility belt. Yeah. <laughs> and a cod piece. Um, so, uh, again, this issue written by Len Wein, uh, drawn by Jim Aparo, uh, edited actually by Paul Levitz, and this is The Man Behind the Mask. And again, only... Oh, this one went up to 50 cents. So, that's kind of interesting. <gasps> I'm going to write so, a nasty letter. <laughs> They went up ten cents. The bastards. Uh, Batman. I'm done. (laughs) I'm out. You laugh. One of my best friends when I was a little kid stopped buying Transformers when it went from seventy-five cents to a dollar. Batman is good and pissed over the destruction of the Batmobile. Uh, the other note uh, that you mentioned earlier lets Batman, Robin, and Alfred know that the person behind all of the other acts of sabotage was behind. I almost want to say sabotage, sabotage. every time. Now. <laughs> was behind the sabotage. Batmobile. I say sabotage. Yeah, <laughs> was behind the uh, Batmobile's destruction as well. 
Batman states that this that it is about time he starts dishing it out instead of taking it. And Robin is right there with him until Batman orders Robin to stay behind because this is his fight to finish alone. Alfred comments on the fact that he's never seen the Master so grim and determined before. And Robin says, wait till you see uh, when some guy named Frank Miller gets a hold of this guy. I mean, <laughs> um, but Robin assures the butler that Batman can take care of himself. Uh, Robin picks up the phone and contacts Jack Edison, a Hollywood stunt driver and the builder of the Batmobile. It seems that Batman saved Edison from a flaming wreck once. Insert any kind of joke you want there. I was just thinking, what bar was he at? (laughs) And And Jack is a man who pays his debts. In fact, he has a few modifications he's been dying to try out and tells Robin to expect the new Batmobile to be waiting at Pier 64 by the end of the week. Robin tells Alfred that the call took care of one problem, but Alfred is quick to point out that the larger problem remains, namely what to do about Batman. Robin grimly says that it, this is one time he intends to disobey orders and he leaves to help his mentor. One time? Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Batman saves one of his street contacts, Shamrock, from a mugging and even <clears throat> threatens the would-be... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I couldn't help but laugh. Was his last name Shake? <laughs> O'Malley, uh, from a mugging and even threatens the would-be attacker if anything happens to Shamrock, even if the guy had nothing to do with it. Batman will come looking for him. Wow. Um, As grateful as Shamrock is for the save, he has no information for Batman. Neither do Slugger, or Queen Bess, Batman's other informants. Or as I like to call them, the crazy people Batman talks to every night. That you'll never see again. Yeah. Um, Batman's next... <laughs> Sorry. Um, Batman's next stop is... Commi- <laughs> it's that Queen Bess thing. I'm like, what the hell? She has a lot of cats, doesn't she? Um, yeah, she's like that creepy bird lady in uh, Home Alone too. Yeah. <laughs> Batman's next stop is Commissioner Gordon's office. Gordon listens to the problems and then suggests that maybe Batman subconsciously doesn't want to know who is behind the destruction. Gordon turns to ask if Batman thinks that might be the case and the Dark Knight is gone. Jim reflects on the early days of his friendship with Batman when the Dark Knight was just a shadow, a whispered name, a symbol on the bottom of a hastily scrawled note. I didn't know Jim Gordon was so damn flowery. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Batman's track record eventually made the department a laughing stock, and Gordon became obsessed with finding him and arresting him. One night, Batman saves Gordon's life, and at last, Jim was finally face to face with his obsession, but he froze, giving Batman time to escape. Eventually, Batman goes to Gordon to have a little talk with the commissioner. Gordon pulls a gun on him, but Batman managed to convince him that he was a friend, and from then on, the two worked closely together. Gordon's life was changed, as was the life of his daughter, who developed a crush on Batman the first time she laid eyes on him, because this was at a time when girls would just moon over men, you know, endlessly, because they could not have personalities of their own. I'm not bitter. Even though she had the appearance of a mousy bookworm, she was secretly training her mind and body as well. Eventually, she graduated from college and became a librarian with a really tight hairdo and glasses. She looks but like you Princess know, Leia. Yeah, but you know 
that like when you know at night when she goes out and she's mm-hmm. like with mm-hmm. with her boyfriend and that ha- those glasses come off and that hair comes down that it is the sexiest thing God has ever created. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. I like the mm-hmm. mousy women. I always have. I like um, the redheaded women. Uh, I used to. <sighs> Anyways, um, on the no- <laughs> what were we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one night on the way to a costume party dressed in a in a Batman-inspired outfit, she saved Bruce Wayne from Killer Moth, and from then on she led a double life as Batgirl. Robin shows up and the two compare notes on Batman's current behavior. The next day, Bruce Wayne heads to the Wayne Foundation and asks not to be disturbed. Caroline, his secretary, is concerned, as is Lucius Fox, who goes to talk with his employer. We learn that Lucius was a bright up-and-cumber that Bruce saw a lot of potential in, and eventually he became Bruce's right-hand man. Lucius tells Bruce that, to call if he needs anything. Bruce appreciates the offer, and when he is alone, he starts to consider what Gordon had said. He stares out the window for a moment, and then notices his own reflection in the glass, and whispers, Oh. My. God. That night, he heads back to Wayne Manor and walks through the empty home, remembering his childhood and the loving advice his father gave him. He opens the path to the old bat cave, and suddenly the walls start closing in on him. Batman realizes that if whoever had been attacking him could get into his current home, he could strike into his old home as well. Batman fights to keep the walls from crushing him, and a ghostly image of Bruce Wayne appears and begins to berate him, blaming him for the life and loves he has lost by being the Batman. Suddenly, Bruce's father, in the costume from the past that was shredded in issue one, shows up and tells him to keep fighting. He explains that the... God, I hate this. This is exactly what he says. It was that warehouse explosion you were caught in. Somehow it's affected your mind, creating temporary schizophrenia with paranoid delusions. Okay. That We even get a little flashback of the explosion. That looks really silly. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce's father yells at him to leave and that he'll hold the walls open until Bruce is safe, but Batman refuses to let him die again and tackles the other bat-clad figure and they narrowly escape death. The other Batman asks Bruce if he is okay, to which Batman replies, thanks to you, Robin. Turns out Robin disguised himself in the old bat costume to set to snap Batman back to his senses. Batman says that all of the demons have been banished, but he still needs some time to himself to sort out what he has learned. Batman somehow takes off into the air outside of Wayne Manor after thanking his protege, and the streets of Gotham City are cold at night, sprayed with shapes and shadows and unexpected sounds. But those who walk these mean streets by twilight do so unafraid, for they can sense the protective presence that watches over them, and they know they are not alone. Every night, without cease, without slumbering, the Batman prowls, the streets of the city he loves, the Dark Avenger, the Eternal Champion, and the Batman is a legend, and a legend can never die. And then we get, like, Secrets of the Batman, where we get to see, like, the new Batcave and the Batmobile and the trophies. And what is exactly inside his utility belt? Go ahead. I know you're chomping at the bit for this. What? (laughs) To start 
laying into this issue. No, really, it's it's not that it's bad uh, a bad issue or anything. As a matter of fact, I think the art steps back up in this issue. I, I really I like the art that. in this. I, I love Robin's look throughout this whole issue. Robin really looks fantastic in this issue. I like the origin of the Batmobile and the guy that uh, that does the Batmobile. Now, is this supposed to be the same character that was a black dude on Batman the Animated Series? Or is that... It was a similar character. Yeah. It was, it was like a similar concept. And I like the fact that they did that on the Batman Animated Series. I was actually going to mention that. And I was also going to mention the fact that I like the fact... Look, I think it's awesome that in the post-Zero Hour world, Batman built the Batmobile himself like from parts on up. But like you were saying before about him being omnipotent, basically, yeah. I kind of like the concept that there's this dude out there that builds the Batmobile for yeah. him. Yeah. Like Harold. I kind of liked Harold when they brought oh, him. Harold was a great thing. character. Yeah. I liked him a lot. And I liked this, you know, this owes back to something like, you know, something from the pulps, like the shadow. I like the idea of Batman having informants across the city, you know, a- agents of Batman, if you will. I, I like that, and I think that that's been lost somewhere along the line. I, but I say that without having read Batman in a hell of a long time. But when I stopped reading it, you know that 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 element had been lost. See, I like them, but they're so cliched. But that's fine. I mean, you know, the Shadows agents were kind of cliched. You know, one guy was a cabbie, and one guy was like a, the scientist, and you know, played by Peter Boyle, and that oh, was an awesome that. character in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, but I, but I mean, you know, but those were characters right out of the out of the stri- out of the pulps too, though. <laughs> no, I, I'll agree with that. It's just I, I just like the concept that this guy was saved by Batman, and he was so so thankful for it that he for you know Batman's got Batmobiles for life, basically. You know, as long as this dude's around and something goes wrong, I love the conversation that he and Robin have. That his first question is, "Oh, you know, you've wrecked another one," <laughs> so. So, and, you know, uh, Jack, Jack Edison is a man who pays his debts. But overall, so. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the issue. I, I liked getting the origin of, you know, the guy that does the Batmobile. I liked uh, Commissioner Gordon's because this, this became slightly different later on. Batgirl's origin and all that. But for me, this issue could have ended at page 14 because everything beyond that point was like, okay, Lucius Fox, don't care, don't care, don't care. Hate that it, character. Why and, do you hate Lucius oh, Fox? Oh, he sucks. I never liked Lucius Fox. <laughs> don't candy coat it, Scott. Tell me how you really. I just don't like him. I, I, I can't really put. For one thing, he looks like Easy Reader from from Electric Company, and I just um, I wonder why. Like the guy. Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, you're right. No, I totally didn't mean to go there, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me he doesn't though. I mean, no, he does. He does. I'll, I'll agree with you there. That's why uh, when 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 Morgan Freeman was cast as Lucius Fox, I was like, that's inspired casting. Yeah, whatever. You know, but I liked Lucius Fox in that movie, but we're not going to get into that argument. No, now. we're not. But so, the, but the issue. All right, again, I, I really think that this should have just been one big old. You know, one shot, you know, like however many pages it is, you know, uh, 64 pages or whatever. That was just a a great big origin thing. You know, Batman walking through the Batcave, looking at, you know, trophies and reminiscing about his friends and colleagues or some stupid thing like that. But 
if you're going to do a tale like this, and it's basically the the origin of Batman and his family, and you're going to tie it to some story, then at least make the story intelligent and compelling. And I don't think this story, the the way it resolves, is intelligent, and it's not even co- uh, coherent because I get to the end of this, I still don't know who the fuck the the bad guy was. Who destroyed the original Bat costume? Was it Batman in his loopy state of mind? Did it to yes. himself? Batman did it all to himself. So he blew up his own Batmobile and destroyed his father's costume and all that. Yes, because subconsciously he's fighting against himself for the life that he's lost because of being the Batman. All right. Do you like that? <sighs> Not really, because it's kind of an anticlimactic ending. And why are the walls of the Batcave closing? And how in the hell is he taking into the air there at the end outside of Wayne Manor? I mean... It, it, there, there's no buildings around Wayne Manor. Yeah, but Spider-Man swings through the suburbs, too, so, you know. Well, that's true, but... No, the the thing about Jim Gordon is I like this origin, too. Uh, I really do. I, I like the concept that he was, you know, he was the commissioner, Batman shows up, kind of makes his men look foolish to the point where he's like, you know, I've got to stop this guy, and then eventually realizing that he could he could use this ally. Right. Uh, that, you know, he becomes friends with him. On the other hand, if Frank Miller did anything right in year one, it was showing us why Jim Gordon is the best cop in the city. Because you always kind of heard that, you know, he's the commissioner, he's the best cop in the city. But you never really knew why, and 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 we finally got to see a Jim Gordon who's kind of a badass. You know, he, he had special forces training, you know, and and, and th- that to me is just kind of awesome. And I am of the opinion, even sort of in this era, that Jim Gordon knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne because if he's the best cop in the city and hasn't figured that out, then something is very wrong there. You know, even if he doesn't admit it to himself, you know, doesn't sit there and think, you know. There goes Batman, secretly Bruce Wayne. Even even if somebody like called him on it, it's like, do you think Batman's Bruce Wayne? Go get me some coffee. I mean, but still, you know, I I, I like to think that he knows. But this is a cool origin. I am always uncomfortable in these back issues of seeing autographed pictures of family members to each other. I don't know why. I just don't think people should autograph pictures of themselves and give it to their fathers or anything like that. It's just really weird. But um, I don't think Barbara is given enough room in this uh, to be as important of a part of the Batman mythos as she is. And you're right, she totally has Princess Leia hair. Oh, my God. (laughs) Aparo does a really good Batgirl, by the way. Mm -hmm. I really like the way he – I like that costume that version of the Batgirl costume. So, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about the Robin costume. It looks awesome throughout this entire issue. Uh, even when he's sitting there on page like 14 with his hands on his hips and the, I love that. It's a little off. <laughs> I, I, I imagine commissioner Gordon going, Whoa, dude, put the mouse back in the house. All right. Stand <laughs> up or something. Put some pants on. Put the mouse back in the house. <laughs> says that <laughs> but uh as i was a little touched by the like the the flashbacks of bruce as a little boy playing doctor wait okay that came out oh, oh what <laughs> i must have missed that where the hell is that <laughs> 
where he runs up to his dad and the doctor get up and you know his dad's like you know our love our compassion are the only things that set us apart from the beasts of the fields <laughs> promise me you'll never forget that <laughs> look by the way i'm cheating on your mother <laughs> look at me <laughs> look at page 18 third panel if you take a quick quick glance at that does that not look like it has abraham lincoln behind them yes. every time i flip past that page i'm like what the hell's abraham lincoln doing there and then i realize it's not but the way alfred's drawn holding up those two costumes i'm sorry people i know that this is a, an audio you know a, a, a podcast and you can't see what we're talking about but if you have access to this look up this panel and tell me that that does not look like the Lincoln Memorial in you know inside Wayne Manor. So I don't know. It's just really weird. The thing about that picture is it almost looks like he's outside the window watching them. Yeah. <laughs> like, would you guys put on these costumes and and fight each other? Because that would be hot. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred's a big old perv, and the podcast disintegrates. Um, page nineteen, right there at the bottom. I really don't. You know, actually, that entire page, Batman looks so awesome throughout that entire page. 19, yeah. Oh, man, it just, it's just so cool. You know, it, it's... I like that fourth panel. <laughs> I look at that one, I go, he's going to heave! <laughs> Either that or he's, like, passing a gallstone or something. <laughs> oh, that was some bad Taco Bell. That last page is pretty epic, too, of him standing on the rooftop with the wind, yeah. you know, whipping his cape up, looking over the city. <sighs> Tell me but you don't hear the, the the final theme from the first uh, Tim Burton Batman. Oh, yeah, definitely. looking at that, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Finale, my favorite piece of music from that score. Yep. Um, but, yeah, but I also kind of hear the, you know, the, the lightning crash of the ending of the animated series theme yeah two which again you know batman's music is is, is pretty epic so did now you like this oh i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say the uh bat plane on the last page there that's the one that he was flying in that issue i was talking about of uh yeah dc special series the cobra story that was i was the- gonna ask you about that that's cool yeah that's really that. cool I love that, and I love this version of the Batcopter was just awesome. They actually did that. I can't remember if it was Batman or Bat. I think it was Batman Returns in the series of toys that came out with that. They did this version with the Michael Keaton Batman, and it was really sharp. And I wish I had picked one up when I had the opportunity because I, I something about the Batcopter I really like. Maybe just because he didn't use it all that often. That yeah, was like, it was. It, it's kind of impractical for urban use really yeah because you have to land it and then <laughs> wait for it to shut off before jumping out of it it's the batmobile's awesome enough so you know with all the 20 gazillion batman books and one shots and miniseries and everything else there's been over the years especially ever since 89 why in the hell is there not been remember like iron man had that one one shot it was like I think it was called the iron manual and it was all about his yeah, armors like and that. shit. Why has there not been something for Batman that's been all about the awesome vehicles he's had over the years? Because everybody knows the Batmobile. And, you know, some people that are geekier will remember, like, you know, the Batcopter and the Batplane and the Batboat. But he's had so many awesome vehicles over the years. I mean, ones that sometimes he might only have ever used at one time. You know, just one-off different cars and 
planes and flying vehicles and stuff that he's had. I'd love to see that. I'd like to see a, a one shot just focusing on all the the cool rides he's had over the years, and some of them are wacky as hell too. You know, it's kind of funny. It was until Batman Forever and Batman and Robin there wasn't a Batmobile that I didn't like. Uh, even even that one that Norm Brayfogle designed for the early '90s. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about that. Uh, it wasn't the best one, but it was still it was still you know it still had some cool aspects to it. But but you know like we well, like we said earlier, you know my favorite, good God, is the Superpowers Batmobile. Yeah. Uh, followed very closely by the '60s series because I have still retained my love of that show. Whereas you have no soul, so but that's okay. That's you. You're about to kick me off this show really quick, aren't you? I'm thinking about Mike's, it. I'm thinking about this it. This will be Mike's last episode of Back to the Bins. Yeah, people will be like, hey, where, where happened to that Mike Bailey? Oh, he died. We don't talk about him. <laughs> no, but uh, I'm really glad we looked at this because this, uh, one, it was really fun. And two, there's just so much about this series that is awesome. It is so made of win. It really is, and I hate using phrases like that, but there's really no better way to describe. <laughs> Just, no, well, you know, for me, reading this, it really solidified in my mind the feeling that I've had over the last couple years that as much as I like the Batman that I read about for all those years, you know, as a teenager and, and in my 20s, that in my heart of hearts, this is the Batman I like the best. This is Mm -hmm. the concept of Batman that I like the best because it is a good compromise between the goofier aspects of the Adam West series and the darker aspects of the Frank Miller. Yes. It it, it rides that line. It doesn't always succeed because I've read some Batman stories, especially in Brave and the Bold, where you're like, what the fuck? But but really and truly, (laughs) and as much as I like Doug Minch's writing, those issues that we were talking about earlier with Juliana Pennyworth and, and Vicki Vale and, and the night slayer and Nocturna, you know, and Jason Todd becoming, uh, becoming Robin for the first time. Some of them are really good. And some of them are just like, good God. I've, you know, all my uh, tre- uh, 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 tread carefully. Now you're, you're, you're pissing on my childhood again. You piss on everything I like all the time <laughs> talking about. I have no pity for you. No, but there are some stories where I'm like, can you ramp up the melodrama anymore? <laughs> and there's also the kind of uncomfortable ones where he's saying how much he misses and loves Jason. And that's just creepy. But, but no, I mean, I mean, there is, there is something about this Batman that is so appealing to me. And mm-hmm. I never really thought about it before and was able to put it into like you know like coherent words and i really can't do it now but reading this origin if dc you know as hypocritical as it may make me sound if dc went back to this origin i wouldn't have a problem at all and you know why i wouldn't have a problem with it because they're not bringing anyone back from the dead and it's not really setting the clock back too far I thought they were supposed to be going back to something like this after Infinite Crisis because there was that whole angsty thing of Batman going off to find himself and he was going to come back and not be so dark and brooding anymore and they were going to lighten up the tone of the DC universe and all. What what the hell ever happened to all that? Grant Morrison. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. But no, look, I I could go on a tirade about how there is so much lip service paid to the iconic nature of the DC characters, but when you boil it down, 
it's all about death and and pain and sorrow and you know sometimes rape you know they 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 want to have these iconic heroes but they want to be able to muddy them up right and, and put them in these dark and depressing situations and you know what fuck that because i just want it's it's not that i don't want a comic to challenge me it's not that I don't want to have a story where something really dark happens and that tugs at my emotions because that's why I read in the first place. I read to get emotionally invested in what's going on in the story because otherwise, what's the fucking point? You know, I love comic book art, but I'm there for the characters and I'm there for the story first and foremost. Right. And when everything is just dark and angsty and it's not fun every once in a while, because as dark as this series could get, and it wasn't like truly dark, but as as like, you know, like when you're dealing with Bruce Wayne's, you know, the parent death of his parents and finding the killer of his parents and finding the ultimate killer of his parents, who was you know Lou Moxon, who was ultimately responsible for the Wayne's death. There was still a lot of fun in here because you had that image of Bruce uh, of Batman and Robin punching out the Joker, right? And it's just like that's awesome. But you can't do that these days because the current mentality is is that if there isn't a character who wasn't raped as a child, it can't be compelling. You know, it's just ah, it bothers the piss out of me. Mm-hmm. You just, uh, I mean, you summed up my whole problem with most of the portrayals of the character in the last, you know, however long, twenty years, basically. <laughs> you know, that culminated with with things like uh, Batman Begins and Dark Knight. I mean, that's ultimately my problem with that is it it's it, it lacked that fun element. Yeah. And again, you know, I want to reiterate, I'm not talking about, you know, Adam West, you know, because that is completely at the other end of the spectrum. I don't like that stuff either. But like you said, this strikes the balance and I think it does it pretty well. I mean, my only beef with this is the resolution of the story. I think it's super lame. I mean, when it when you get to the end of it and it's like, well, I was doing it to myself because I'm nuts. And it's like, what? what the, the, where the hell is that coming from? But other than that, I, I I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's very enjoyable. I just I think it would have been better as a as a straight up just the origins of the Batman family. I, I think that actually should be the name of this, and that's actually what it should be. It should be just a tour through you know, the bat cave or the trophy case or, you know, Batman, you know, reshuffling his computer files on the bat computer and looking at pictures of, you know, commissioner Gordon and, and all his other friends and so, something. I mean, Jesus, they did that with Superman a zillion times. You know, he'd go to his fortress and look at those creepy wax figures he had of like every one of his friends, you know, I mean, his friends had like he had rooms of his, I, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Okay, come on. Is that not just a little weird? It makes me uncomfortable in the naughty place. No, the the only thing, in all honesty, the only thing I like about the resolution of this story is that there is kind of an arc in... Batman is not the same at the beginning of the story as he is at the end. Right. Because he does realize that who he is has cost him something. Something in his emotional makeup 
is missing because of the life he has chosen to lead. And I kind of like exploring that end of Bruce Wayne. What mm-hmm. is the personal cost to the man that oh, he yeah. can't have a normal life because of the life he has chosen? You know, there, there's a, I'm going to, I have it right here so I can actually do the quote. Brad Meltzer in Identity Crisis really summed up Batman in like like three sentences. And it's the line, I chose this life. I know what I'm doing. And on any given day, I could stop doing it. Today, however, isn't that day, and tomorrow won't be either. That's awesome. That's like, yes, but at the same time, Julie Madison, you know, Vicki Vale, Catwoman even. You know, it's really sad that the woman he feels like the closest connection to is just about as fucked up as he is. Right. So, <laughs> who do I like? I like the thief that dresses up as a cat. Well, who doesn't? But, anyways, you know, just that whole thing at the end where he realizes, okay, somewhere along the way I've made a misstep and I've got to reconsider everything. It's not that he's going to give up being Batman. But maybe that he wants more of a balance in his life. And that's one of the the only reasons I will buy into the whole I'm doing it to myself thing. I can buy that. Sorry. No, no, not at all. (laughs) I just feel bad when I go on tirades. (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, you're contributing more than I am. So (laughs) I was actually trying to look up. I want to find out what the issue number is of that. I know I've talked about this on the show before, but you had mentioned it and it kind of struck a chord with me once again. It's number 18, Batman Gotham Knights. You had talked okay. about the thing of Batman, you know, and the terrible cost that that being the Batman, you know, what it has cost him, basically. And I think that's why I keep coming back to that story, because it resonates with me. Because that's really everything that that story is about is, is the terrible cost of being the Batman. Because it was a very simple story, you know. It's not very long, and it's not like super deep or complex, and you got to read fifty other issues to understand it. It was just a one-off story in Gotham Knights of it was a night in the life of Batman, but it was a night when nothing happens. Yeah, and you realize. Jesus, this guy is the loneliest guy on earth, you know? Mm-hmm. He's knocking around this giant mansion in the middle of the night. And, yeah, and in the end of that story, I felt really bad for him, you know, that, that he didn't have anybody. And he's, you know, over the, the course of the last 20 or so years, the way that he's been written, he's gone from being a guy that would hang out with losers like the outsiders and actually had some people that maybe sort of were kind of his free. I mean, he went from, I'll go further back than that. You know, he went from the Batman that on Christmas Eve night would go and sing carols with the Gotham PD to now he was a guy that didn't have any friends. And that's really in the end of that story. That's what it was about was, you know, Aquaman, who likewise has become a major asshole over the years in comics. These two guys looking at each other and go, you want to grab a drink? You know, Cause they <laughs> yeah. got nothing. They got nothing else. You know, their their lives had got to that point. That story, I, I, I've got to dig that out and, and actually cover that on Back to the Bin sometimes because it's just a fan. Yeah. It's one of the best Batman stories um, I've read in years. Scott. 
Yeah. You you already have. No, I didn't do that issue. Yes, you did. I remember vividly. You no, talked I've about I've it. talked about it, but I didn't actually cover that issue. I thought you covered that issue because no. you talked about it in depth, so it felt like yeah. you covered it. So I'm sorry. I'm not trying to call you out. It's just I vividly remember listening to that episode when I was trying to catch up because I was like, "Wow, I vaguely remember that book." So, <laughs> but um, no, great story. Really, people, track it down on eBay. I'm dead serious. Look in your local comic shop. If it's $3 an issue, I'm going to go ahead and say buy it if you can. Because this, if if you, you know, everyone says of the Batman stories you should own, they always say the Long Halloween or Dark Knight Returns or Hush or, you know, Death in the Family. And a lot of the, and I, and I like even Hush to a large extent. I like all of those stories. But nothing distills in a three in three issues who Batman is more than this one. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of thecomicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. Life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider Man.